0: Good evening. I shared with some friends and some uh, new acquaintances today a uh, a number of ideas, and one of them um, I had talked about previously in my book of covenants, and so I kind of committed to uh, making the audio version of that available on this podcast, only to realize that I left the audio version on a thumb drive at the UPS store in Bemidji. And uh, I'm confident the people I committed to would be very forgiving, but I decided to go ahead and record a portion of the uh, the Book of, of Covenants. Um, because it, is, it has two stories, which I think illustrate uh, a point I was trying to make. Uh, very very much about my church experience and I feel somewhat confident in generalizing it to a lot of a lot of church experience So let me read to you um, actually I should just figure out what chapter it is although you can't get the book so guess it won't matter. Um, Never mind. You'll have to not know what chapter it is. Um, Maybe chapter 17. Someday the book may be available. Depends on how many of you ask for it. Alright, enough dithering about. Let me read to you. The church in America is conflicted. It is drawing two very different constituencies. The one longs for a place where sin will be called sin and people will be warned that unless they follow God's way, they will cause every form of society, from their families to the government, to crumble. They may have very different priorities about which aspect of social justice must be addressed first, but they see the value of the church as a meeting place for a godly counterculture, which must balance the godless society of the world. Some are prepared to have the church follow the old covenant, Others believe in the construct of a Christian social contract, but both agree that the church needs structure and organization to be relevant today. Others in this group conclude that if they can't be relevant, then at least they can be comfortable. It might be too ambitious to expect the church to create a counterculture to challenge the world. It might be more reasonable to create a country club, where at least we can take a break from it. The other constituency is a silent one. They don't speak for themselves, but they long for a place where grace is greater than their sin. They carry around the shame and failure of a life of sin and long to be part of some group where they don't have to forever fear judgment and forever fear feel like they are second-class citizens. They need the message of forgiveness. The main main reason that they don't speak for themselves is that they hardly dare to hope that a place like that exists. But there are some who have found a place like that, who remember what it was like to be lost and try to point out to the church that if the one they call Lord came to seek and to save the lost, how can they do less? Others who fearlessly obey the sovereign commands of Jesus Constantly find themselves serving such lost souls and long such lost and longing souls and they call to those in the organized church asking them come and bring some of their energy and resources to where the need is greatest. The church is torn. Both desires seem valid. So most congregations try to do a little of each. We will gather an enclave of individuals who want a place where their attempts to follow Old Covenant morality are affirmed and their kids can be safe from the world, and we will preach a message of grace that would be very refreshing if any of the people who needed to hear it were there. A good balance of both covenants, which, if we accept that Jesus was establishing a Christian social contract, complete with an organization and a hierarchy, is what he must have intended when he came to amend the Old Covenant, crossing out some of its more onerous parts and making it more people-friendly. Obviously, I think that continuing to try to uphold a Christian social contract is a theological mistake. But even if you disagree with me on that point, I would like to help you see that there are some things that cannot be done concurrently. We can stand for grace... And we can stand for godliness, but we can't stand for both publicly. One can be public and one personal, but when they both become public, they cancel each other out. There's an illustration I use whenever I am asked to counsel a married couple. It didn't really happen, but it could have. Imagine one night our family is gathered on and around the couch to watch an episode of Hogan's Heroes. This actually happens. We try to only watch TV when we are together and we choose our own videos rather than to invite broadcast or cable into our home. Anyway, my daughter has flopped down on the couch with her ponytail flipped over the back of the couch. Imagine that one of her brothers is sitting behind her on a chair. The busy day is over so he is removing the hand-me-down combat boots he is wearing. Noticing the ponytail hanging down in front of him and the boot lace He has untied, he surreptitiously ties the boot to the ponytail and waits for a reaction. When the episode is finished, he gets what he was waiting for, a reaction. My daughter stands up, feels a tug, and goes ballistic. She is screaming and crying and carrying on enough to frighten the rest of the family, who has no idea what is causing the outburst since the knot slipped off her ponytail after the first tug we finally calm her down enough to find out what happened my son is standing behind her trying to look trying not to look guil, trying to look guilty and chastised but having a hard time not laughing thinking that this is a time to exercise fatherly authority i begin chewing out my son for the unkindness of his act he can't do hurtful things to his brothers and sisters and i never want to see him do something like that again Inwardly, I know that it was a pretty harmless prank, so I turned to my daughter and let her know that she way overreacted. I expressed my suspicion that she created a scene specifically to get her brother in trouble, and remind her that if she keeps doing it, no one will take her seriously if something big does happen. Having properly chastised both children, I leave them to go on with the activities of the evening. As soon as I am out of earshot, the two siblings begin the bickering, which is always the most satisfying part of the conflict. I guess Dad told you, opines my daughter. What? You're the one he said was overreacting, my son protests. But he forbid you ever to do something like that again. Maybe, but you could see he was trying not to laugh. You're the one he thought was the drama queen. There is no need to follow the hypothetical argument any further, to realize that each person had heard only the message intended for the other. My son listened very carefully to what I said to my daughter, and my daughter listened very carefully to what I said to my son. They took to heart that portion of the message that wasn't addressed to their heart. Maybe you can see how this applies to a couple seeking marriage counseling. But let me tell you a story to illustrate how it affects a church trying to minister to a very diverse constituency. Imagine with me the pastor of a small, non-denominational church. He is passionate about his job as a pastor and a father. He and his wife have several children including a son who is in his final year of high school. Raising their children has always been a high priority for both parents, although practically his wife has spent more time with the kids because they have been homeschooled in the elementary grades. But their focus in raising their children has been to teach them that God's way works. The kids were born into a family where they won't have to face a lot of the challenges that many children face today. They've grown up with two parents who aren't addicted. Their father makes enough money so that they've never had to go without essentials, and their mother has been there to nurture them. Because of that, this young pastor and his wife expect great things from their son. They don't want him to plunge into a life of sin, not because they doubt for a minute that God's grace is sufficient, but because they want him to avoid the pain. They are pleased that their son is active in the church, and they are grateful for the group of friends that he has in the youth group. They are mostly other church kids who have had many of the same advantages of a good upbringing, which he enjoys. Even the girl he is going out with is a nice girl from a Christian family. Never for a minute does this pastor and his wife think that their son can earn his way to heaven. But they hope that he can avoid the pain and consequences that come as a natural result of sin. One day, Pastor was reading an old novel, which had been recommended to him by a friend. The story was set in England in the 1800s, and just peripherally it clarified the difference between congregational churches and parish churches. A congregational church divided itself up according to theological opinions. Each church would gather to itself those who agreed upon some particular point of understanding. A parish church was divided up by geography. If you resided in the parish, then that was your church. Pastor was intrigued by the idea of being responsible for people who might not necessarily attend his church. He got himself a local map and marked the location of every nearby church. He then drew a line from each to the closest of the closest churches and defined for himself the boundaries of his parish. With the help of an elderly church member, he found out the name of every resident. He crossed off the names of any who he discovered were regular attendees of another church. He wasn't trying to get church people to switch churches. He began praying for all the names on his list, asking God to give him a chance to serve every member of his parish in some profound way. Months passed before he got to serve Steve and Kari. But finally, late one evening, he stopped to help some stranded motorists and found that it was the couple he had been praying for. Their car had run out of gas, and it was after 8 p.m., which meant that he couldn't get gas for them at the nearby station, which was closed for the night and hadn't upgraded to a pay-at-the-pump system. Pastor was delighted to spend an extra half an hour with them running to town, where he, where they could buy gas at a late-night station. As hard as Pastor tried to avoid gossip about his parish, he had not been able to avoid hearing about Steve and Carrie. Steve, by all accounts, was an unabashed womanizer, and Kari was currently addicted to pills, which Steve secured for her, thanks to a back injury, which got him a disability check as well as a legal settlement. This steady supply of painkillers kept Kari from ever making good on her almost monthly threats to leave him whenever she discovered or imagined evidence of one of Steve's dalliances. Nothing that the couple said or did riding around with Pastor did anything to make him doubt the stories. But they seemed touched that he was willing to give them a ride to town and back to their car. And when they put two and two together, discovering somewhat to Pastor's chagrin that he was the pastor of the church down the road from their house, they were genuinely delighted. They promised that they would come to church sometime, and pastor said he hoped they would. And he did hope so, but he was worried too. He wasn't sure whether the church would accept this couple couple, with all their baggage and sin. He thought that probably they wouldn't really come, but it woke him up to the fact that his church had become pretty complacent about welcoming in the lost pastor decided that preparing the church to become pastor decided that preparing the church to welcome the lost was important enough to interrupt his current expository series on the book of joel for the next 3 weeks he stressed to the church the importance of reaching out to the world he told stories of churches where strangers came and went without anything but a perfunctory greeting from any of the le- regular attenders and challenged his flock to watch for those who came and welcome them in. He drew a parallel to the welcome one receives at the emergency room. You aren't criticized for having something wrong. They expect you to arrive broken. That's how the church needs to welcome the lost, he concluded. Then, as if on cue, Steve and Kari made good their promise to attend pastor was delighted to see the church welcome them in. He was pretty sure the elder who stood on the front walk between Sunday school and church visiting with Steve while he chain-smoked three cigarettes had never before taken a smoke break. They were welcomed with open arms, and as delighted as he was that week, he was even more pleased when they came back several more times. They seemed to appreciate the welcome And even though their attendance didn't seem to dent their vulgar approach to life, they seemed to like the new sense of belonging they felt. During their fourth week of attendance, Pastor addressed briefly the idea of the human conscience and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He cast about for an example of a sin to which his congregation could relate and used as, ex- as his example littering. He told of a time when he had forgotten a bag of trash on the roof of his minivan where he had put it while he unloaded two coolers that were in the back. Thanks to the convenience of a push button which closed the tailgate, he didn't notice the bag of trash as he drove away from his home. He shared that as he returned home, he had been a little incensed at whoever carelessly left their trash on the road until he recognized it as having been his own. He admitted to having driven past the trash three times before the little voice in his brain convinced him to stop and make it right. The congregation enjoyed the story, laughing with the pastor as he told on himself. But as he shook hands with people as they left the church, Steve looked deep in thought. He paused, and pastor shook Kari's hand, Then he said, honestly, I can't imagine it would bother me. Before Pastor could follow up on the comment, Kari interrupted, really, Steve, it doesn't much matter. We need to go. Steve didn't see them again for two months. He ran into them at the drugstore in town where Steve was picking up another month's supply of painkillers. They seemed glad to see the pastor, but still sad. We've missed you at church, Pastor finally got around to saying, after they'd established that life was pretty much continuing the same as it always had. We miss church too, was the answer. It was delivered with a sense of longing and a total absence of anger. Just then the pharmacist called them up to answer a question, and by the time they were finished, Pastor had had to go to his next appointment. He was distracted during that meeting, and for the rest of the day. They hadn't left out of anger. It appeared that when he told his story about the trash, he had convinced them that as much as they liked the church, they could never really fit. They were just too different. In retrospect, pastor realized that even though littering is the careless and and. Even though littering is careless and disrespectful to others, it isn't really a clear sin. He could see how someone struggling to decide whether to go visit his latest mistress, while his wife is practically comatose from the pills he has lied and cheated to get for her, might find that people who feel uncomfortable about a bag of trash accidentally dumped on the road were totally in a different class. A class they could never hope to achieve. Pastor probably worked as hard on his sermon that week as he had on any he had ever preached before. He prayed too. He prayed that somehow Steve and Kari would be there to hear it. But even if they didn't come, he wanted to make it clear that in Christ there is no upper class. We are all the same. Sinners saved by grace. It is the blood of Christ that justifies us. And justification is the act where God makes us just as if we never sinned. He washes us white as snow. And what God has called clean, let no man call unclean. He preached with passion. His son had forced himself to listen out of a sense of guilt. And as he heard, he was relieved. A month before, he and his girlfriend had begun kissing. He had always heard the opinion that he should put it off as long as he could. Some Christians even suggested that to be really holy, you shouldn't kiss until you were married. Others, conceding that maybe you could start when you were engaged or, or when you were seriously committed, he had put it off commendably long. But when it started, he was surprised how much he liked it. The kissing quickly became full-scale making out. The young man was also surprised that his girlfriend seemed to be as into the activity as he was. From the way it had been reported, the few times the subject ever came up, He had inferred that males were always lobbying for more physical interaction and that the females were only ever reluctantly convinced to give in. So he thought he was safe. He couldn't deny that he was tempted by a vague thought of sex. He wasn't even sure how the actual mechanics worked. But he was sure that he would never insist on it over the protestations of a young lady but he never expected that she would want it almost more than him sometimes. Then, the previous evening, he had let his hand stray accidentally, where it shouldn't have been. And instead of pushing it away or ignoring it, his girlfriend had ever so slightly leaned into it. He had gone no farther, and he felt guilty for even that compromise, But far stronger than the feeling of guilt was a desire for more. And the timing of this sermon was perfect. He wouldn't decide to commit fornication. But after hearing that God could make him just as if he didn't sin, if he happened to fall, he lost a lot of his resolve to make sure he avoided situation where falling would be easy. Within a month, He had slept with his girlfriend. A pastor can't help wondering sometimes whether anybody is listening. But someone was listening. When he was talking about living as a good neighbor, taking responsibility for his mistakes, and listening to the voice inside us which calls us to be moral, a sermon which his son could have applied, the couple that needed to hear about grace listened and drew their conclusions. When he was preaching to them, even though they weren't here, it was his son who was listening. Judgment where grace was needed and license where resolve was needed. I hope that excerpt shed some light on my hypothesis that maybe finding a church that is a perfect mix is not the answer. Maybe we need to build a firewall. It's yours to think about. I hope you enjoyed these few pages as much as I enjoyed writing.